I want to welcome all of you to here this morning. Uh, again, this is the second Sunday where we have been gathering online. And so wherever you're watching this morning, I'm sure many of you are downstairs or upstairs watching in your pajamas. Uh, some of you may have really dressed up today, maybe for the first time ever. You're like, I can dress up for church. You're in a suit and a tie, whatever you're, you're dressed right now. I want to really welcome you to this online experience. Um, we at Deer Run Church, we have been praying for you through the week, and uh, we are so excited that you are joining us this morning. Um, just a, a few uh, house, housekeeping things about this sermon. Um, you'll find notes to this sermon on our YouVersion Bible app uh, under the events, and so you can follow along uh, on, on that page as you usually do when we gather together like this. I want to speak to us today about the Gospel of John. So we've been going through this series uh, in an introduction to the New Testament. And so last Sunday, Pastor Peter uh, talked to us about the Synoptic Gospels. Those are the first three books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And today we want to look at the Gospel of John. John is uh, also part of what is considered or called the Gospels. And uh, the reason why we have two separate sermons is that John is quite different from the other three. And so we're going to unpack what that looks like this morning. So let's open in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this opportunity to gather wherever we are in our homes and wherever we're watching. We know that your spirit is with us wherever we go. We know that you are a big God. And I thank you for the comfort that you give through your word, through your people. And I pray that you will open our hearts to the preaching of your word this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Gospel of John is, in my opinion, well, it's my favorite book in the, uh, the New Testament, in the whole Bible, actually. Um, it's, it's the book that maybe for many of us, we're the most familiar with. I think Christianity's most familiar verse is found in John. John 3.16, and I think all of us can recite that from memory. How many of us have kind of taken that one-step-back view of this book? How many of us have um, taken the whole book for what the whole book says in its entirety? And so today we want to kind of go through an overview of it. We're not going to dive into the specifics of the book, but how are we to understand this book as a whole? So starting off, with the question, who wrote the book of John? So who wrote it? So as we read the book of John, we will notice that the writer of this book was very familiar with Palestine, the customs and uh, the laws and the geography of, of Palestine or Israel at the time. But he was also very familiar with Samaria and the Samaritans. And so this is a, a person that grew up in ancient Palestine, but he was also a person that had um, an understanding of Greek philosophy and Greek of thought, Greek thought. And tradition has, uh, over the years, and you have it right on the name uh, of the book, the Apostle John wrote the book. There are many scholars that, as we, uh, that, that uh, now conclude that it was not necessarily the Apostle John that penned it with his own hand, but those that were part of his school of thought, um, the, those that continued in the John tradition may have compiled, with the help of John, uh, John's writing over the years and compiled it into one um, whole 
uh, edited and compiled version, and this version is what we now have as the book of John. Whether or not John wrote, wrote the whole book in one sitting or his followers and John worked together to compile this book, we can be certain of one thing, and that is that the authority behind this book is, um, is authentic, it's inspired. The Apostle John, writing in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, uh, says this about himself, and this is the authority that he has uh, to write on behalf of the life of Jesus. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So this is his experience. He's been there. He's touched it. He's heard it. He's felt it. He's smelled it. And out of this experience, he is giving us uh, who Jesus is and how we are to understand him and how he is applicable to our lives. The writer of John is also never actually mentioned by name in this book, and this is one of the other reasons why we believe John wrote it. Um, it, it talks about this, this person in this book, the one who, the beloved, or the one that Jesus loved. And if this was anybody other than the, uh, the writer, this would seem very strange. It also seems that the writer of John, uh, John the Apostle, was one of the youngest of the disciples. And this uh, we gather from the fact that he lived past the year 90. So he would have been an old man, and he might have lived um, 90 to 100 years, but he was still alive at 96. And so uh, he was one of the younger disciples. And this is maybe one of the reasons why he would have connected so well with Jesus. He was a similar age, maybe five years, uh, 10 years younger than Jesus. Um, and so as we read the Gospels, we see that John, um, John was one of the, the inner circle of the three disciples uh, that Jesus spent extra time with. So that is a little bit who wrote it. So when was it written? The, the Gospel of John's most scholars believe it was written around the year 85. And so um, according to this view, John would have written the Gospel first, and then he would have followed the writing of the Gospel of John and expounded what he was teaching in the Gospel of John with 1 John, followed by 2 and 3 John, and then his last book would be the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And so um, this is also attested to by Clement of Alexandria. He's one of the church fathers in the first two centuries, and he uh, states in his writings that John wrote the book of John after the other synoptic uh, gospels were written, uh, to support and to expound on those books. So to whom was it written? So last Sunday we looked at how uh, each of the synoptic gospels were written to a slightly different audience. So for example, Matthew was written primarily to a Jewish audience and Luke was written uh, more to, um, it was a personal letter written to a Greek ruler. And so, as we look through the, the book of John, we see that John was written, it kind of seems to both Jews and Gentiles. But one of the things that really stands out in the book of John is this interesting word, uh, use of logos. He uses the word logos a few times in his book, especially in the first chapter. And logos is the word that we translate as word. And you'll see it in John 1.1. 1, 1. And this word was a major um, this concept was a major concept in Greek philosophy at the time. 
And so John is trying to connect the gospel of Jesus Christ to that, uh, something that uh, Greek philosophers could connect with. And so we could say that the gospel of John is really written to everyone. And while I was in Bible college and I had my four, sem- uh, four semesters of Greek uh, language, one of the main books that we studied were First um, John and the Gospel of John. And because go- the Gospel of John and First John are written in very simple Greek, and so it was written in such a way that everyone could understand it. But the concepts in it were um, complicated enough that it would be of interest to the philosophers as well. So that brings us to the next question. So why did John write his gospel? The gospels were a very specific type of literature, and they fell into what is considered the Roman or Greek biographies, and these biographies are slightly different than what we have on our bookshelves today. So uh, when we write a biography now, or biographies are written of famous people, there's often an, um, an emphasis on chronological order, and um, it, there's a lot of emphasis put on historical accuracy. While this was probably a, a, a value that they had somewhat, a biography of those days emphasized way more a theme of a person's life, and then they would take events from that person's life to emphasize the point that were, they were trying to make about that person. So for example, if a person's reputation was that he was rich or that he was powerful, biographies would be written and the events from their lives would uh, be picked that would um, undergird, support that assertion that who this person was. And so a very similar thing can be gleaned from the Gospel of John. But John clearly states why he writes, and this makes it even simpler for us. In John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, John clearly tells us why he wrote the Gospel of John. This is what he says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there are basically three reasons that John gives why he wrote this book. The first one is to convince the readers that Jesus is the Messiah. So maybe here he's talking a little more to the Jews, those that were expecting the Messiah to come to them based on their reading of the Old Testament. The second reason is to convince the readers that Jesus is the Son of God. And so maybe here we could say that he is maybe speaking a little more to the Gentile audience. And the third one is probably the key one. And that is to show how we can have life in Jesus' name, and specifically eternal life. So John uh, lays out all of these events, these teachings in Jesus' life, And the main thing that we are to glean from it, from these verses, it says that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is, I think, very clearly uh, demonstrated and summarized in John 3.16. This is a verse that many of us know very well. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We could say the chief reason for writing this book is evangelistic, meaning that uh, John was seeking to share the gospel with his audience. 
In tradition, John is often referred to as John the Evangelist. So this was John's heart. He had a heart for people encountering Christ and placing their faith in him, and by placing their faith in him, receiving that eternal life that Jesus taught so much about. So briefly, let's go through some of the structure of the book. (coughs) First, we have the prologue. This is the first 18 uh, verses of the book where John explains what he is trying to tell us about Jesus. So uh, very often when we reopen up a book, the first couple pages of a novel or a nonfiction book, it's the introduction. And so in the introduction, we basically find out what the rest of the book is going to be about. And so in the first 18 verses, John kind of lays the foundation of what the rest of the book will be explaining to us. He starts off with saying that Jesus is the eternal word, meaning he's the eternal uh, being and reason behind everything. This is in the first two verses. Then he has come as a light to all mankind, verses 3 to 8. And then he, um, he sh- uh, John explains how he has become the light. In verses 14 to 18, he tells us that Jesus is the word. He became the flesh. He became one of us, and he made his dwelling among us. He lived among us. And so he did all of that so that all that believe in this testimony about Jesus Christ would have the right to become the children of God. And so this is uh, very, we can very clearly see why this is considered one of the Gospels, a a presentation of Jesus, a presentation of the Gospel, the good news of how we can be saved, how we can have eternal life in Jesus Christ. The second part of the book is the biggest part of the book, and this is uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 to the end of chapter 11. And this gives us a brief account of Jesus' ministry. And again, John chapter 20, verses 30 says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So it, it he, uh, the writer of John admits this isn't everything that Jesus did. There are perhaps many more miracles that Jesus did that we don't have in the New Testament. There are many other wonderful teachings that Jesus taught that we don't have in the New Testament, or especially in the Gospels. But the events that John records are given to us so that we can believe in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but there are many times when I wonder, why didn't God talk more about this in the Bible? Or why didn't Jesus expound more on this issue? And for some issues, there's nothing said. Or for other issues, there's only one or two verses that explain something. And we sometimes wonder, why has Jesus only spoken so little about various things? But this verse tells us that these things that are written in the New Testament are given to us so that we can believe in Jesus Christ. They are enough for us to know who Jesus is and to know him sufficiently to believe in him and have eternal life in him. So quickly, what are some key uh, events in uh, the book of John, especially in this 
um, section that teach us something about who Jesus is. The first one is in chapter two, verses 12 to 25. Here Jesus cleans or cleanses the temple. And so this is a symbol of Jesus coming in and in a sense fulfilling the law, fulfilling the Jewish legal system and the, their system of worship and cleansing the temple and in a way of saying this is a new start. Up to now you have been worshiping God this way. Today is a new start. This is a restart. And I am the reason why we are restarting. And so he came to draw people back to the heart of God. He came to give religion a restart. And then in chapter 3 verses 1 to 21, we have the account of Jesus meeting with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a major Jewish leader at the time. And if there's one section of scripture, I wish everyone in the world would read, and it would be this passage of scripture. Jesus clearly explains how we can be saved. He says, without us being born again, we will never see the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to explain how that happens. We are born again when the Spirit works in us. We receive that work of the Spirit through faith, and we have that in uh, uh, verses 15 to 21. And so Jesus clearly uh, demonstrates and teaches us how we can be saved, how we can have eternal life and be born again. And then in chapter seven to uh, chapter seven to eight, Jesus is spending some time in the temple, and this is the time of uh, the feast of the tabernacles. And he's coming uh, to the temple, and there are many people around the temple, and he gets into these conversations. And there's many teachings that come out of this. And in this passage of scripture and, and the conversation that comes out of this, we, we come to see that Jesus has come to give us freedom. And he, Jesus contrasts his ministry to the, uh, to, with that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees had come and put more and more laws on the people. And Jesus says, I have come to set you free. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And after arguing some time with the Pharisees, he solidifies the Pharisees' growing animosity towards him by declaring that he is God. And he says in, um, in chapter 8, verses 58, um, that he is the I Am. And then in chapters 11, verses 1 to 45, we have the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And this is a major turning point in the ministry of Jesus. So up till now, uh, Jesus had been ministering among the people and people had been following him and they had, some had fallen away after he taught about um, he being the, the bread of life. But generally people had been following him and, and the Jewish leaders had kind of tolerated him. They didn't like him, but they, they didn't publicly and by force oppose him. But everything changed when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. And so when Jesus rose um, Lazarus from the dead, and, he, and uh, Lazarus was dead in the grave for three days, and, and the Bible says he started to stink, Jesus comes and he raises from the dead, and this was the wake-up call for the Pharisees. And they saw that Jesus, there was something extra special about him. He was a threat to their religious system. And so it says that it's after he raised Lazarus from the dead that they began to plot how they could kill him. And that brings us to our next section, 
and that is Jesus' passion. Chapters 12 to 20, and so this is a, um, this is a big ch- uh, section as well, and there's lots to unpack here, but this, is, this contains Jesus' time with his disciples in the upper room, and it includes Jesus' crucifixion, all the events that led up to and were part of Jesus' crucifixion. There's a lot of um, harmony between uh, chapters 18 to um, 20 with the other Gospels, um, but the teaching found in chapter 12 to 17 is unique to the book of John. And then in the last, last section, uh, it's about Jesus' resurrection and kind of the conclusion. So this is from chapter 20, verse 1, to the end of the book. And here, this is kind of the climax of the book. So we've had Jesus' ministry uh, and teaching with the people, and we have Jesus dying on the cross, and we have this huge letdown among his disciples. Jesus was meant to be the Messiah, but their Messiah was dead. And in chapter 20, the script really changes. Jesus rises from the dead, and by doing that, secures eternal life for all that put their trust in him. So I wanna uh, just take this last little bit of this sermon and talk about major themes in this book. There are seven I am statements in the book of John. And this is a really important to note what Jesus is saying about himself. In Christian theology and in the Old Testament, the statement I am is very, very important. It's central to understanding of who God is. I am is a name for God. And so when Jesus is saying I am and then he says he's something else, he's not merely using this as a descriptive um, adjective phrase for himself. He's saying, I am the divine whatever he's saying about himself. So when we see in Exodus chapter 3, verses 14, um, here God introduces us to this name. He says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And here is this name, I am. And then uh, a, a verse that I alluded to before, in John chapter 8, verses 58, Uh, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. And then furthermore, uh, when Jesus was arrested, the, the soldiers that came to arrest him asked him who he was, and this is in John chapter 18, verses 4 to 6. And then they ask who, who Jesus is, um, I'll just read it. Verses four says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked him, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor, traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So there was something about the way that Jesus was talking about it, referring to himself as the I am that made the soldiers fall down, in a sense, worship him. They, they drew back and fell to the ground. So what are these seven I am statements? The first one is, and we see this in John chapter uh, 6, verses 35, I am the bread of life. And so Jesus is uh, saying about himself that he is that which sustains us. He is the bread, and bread is, uh, was the most common food of the time. 
And so Jesus is saying, I am the one that sustains you. I am the one that keeps you alive. And there are many more things that we can say about that. I am the light of the world, Jesus continues, in John chapter 8, verses 12, and in John chapter 9, verses 5. And so light is one of the main themes that John uses in his writings, and we see the word light used many times in the book of 1 John. So Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is, in the sense, the one that illuminates, gives us understanding of everything else. Light is that which opens up understanding. For example, if you walk into a dark room and you wonder what is in the room, if you turn on the light, then you come to understand what is in the room. That is what Jesus does for us. That is who he is for us. He is the one that makes sense of everything else. Thirdly, Jesus says, I am the gate. In John chapter 10, verses 7 to 9. Jesus is the only way that we can enter the fold. And and Jesus' statement, I am the gate, is part of a parable or a teaching that he uses uh, to explain how he is the shepherd. And he, uh, he is the gate, he is the way through which people come into the flock. And that leads us to the next I am statement. I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verses 10 to 14. Not only was Jesus the gate for the sheep, the only way that the sheep could enter into his care, he was also their leader. So with this statement, Jesus is contrasting himself to the Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders. He is saying that while others lead with, with um, heavy laws and, and in, in a, a different passage of Scripture, Jesus says that they put all these burdens on the people. He has come, and he has come to give life abundantly. So Jesus is the caring shepherd for his sheep. The fifth I am statement is, I am the resurrection and life. And so John chapter 11, verses 25. Here Jesus is talking about all that believe in him have eternal life, and all that believe in him and have eternal life will be risen one day, and they will live forever. John chapter 11 verses 26 says this, and whoever lives by leaving in me will never die. And he's saying, even though you die, you will still live eternally. The sixth I am statement is, I am the true vine. Here Jesus is saying, all that we are, all that we want to be, who we are as servants of God, needs to find its source of strength, its power in Jesus Christ. So use the analogy of um, a vine, and if there's branches that are apart from the vine, they won't bear any fruit. But the, the branches that are part of the vine, that are part of the power source and the life source, will produce much fruit. And the seventh one, and with this I want to conclude. And this is the seventh I am statement. And it's found in John chapter 14, verses 6. And it says this, John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. With these three statements, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want to ask us this question this morning. 
or whenever we're watching this, who is Jesus to you? Is he your way? Do you have eternal life in him? Do you seek truth through the eyes of Jesus Christ? Is Jesus your source of truth? So Jesus saying that he is the way to the Father, he's saying he is the only way. No one comes to the Father except through him. There is only one way where we can have a relationship with God, and that is through Jesus Christ. This is a comforting truth. God has made it so simple for us. He has given us one way and one simple way through which we can be saved. And then Jesus says he's the truth. If we are seekers of truth, and as we follow the paths of truth, I believe those paths of truth will always lead us to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the truth. And all knowledge, all truth needs to be filtered through what Jesus says about us, about himself, and about eternity. And then he says, all who trust in Jesus for salvation have eternal life. Jesus is our only option for eternal life with the Father. So I don't know where you are with God this morning. I don't know where your relationship with Jesus is this morning. But I'm, my wish this, this morning as we gather in our homes is that we will wrestle with this question. Who is Jesus to you? Have you accepted eternal life through Jesus Christ? And are you walking in the way of Jesus Christ? Let's close in a word of prayer. Jesus Christ, thank you so much for revealing such a simple plan of salvation to us. And I pray for us as we continue to self-isolate across uh, Ontario, across Leamington, wherever we're watching this, God, I pray that you will bring comfort and strength and peace and that you will, uh, through your presence, know, uh, help us know that you are with us. And I pray that you will uh, give us opportunities to serve one another. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace this week.